0: My name is uh, Jonathan Stubbs. I'm the youth pastor here. So if you're new to Oso or you haven't been in a while I'm the student pastor here, uh, Greg is in Ecuador uh, serving with that team out there. And we're so glad that he is out there. Please continue to be praying for them um, as they are doing the Lord's work out there. Um, so if this is your first time, come back next week. We'll be a normal service. And uh, well, it won't actually be a normal service. It'll be a much different service than any other service we've had. So yeah. Come back the week after that, and that'll be normal, right? Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and open up to Luke, Matthew, James, Romans, 2 Thessalonians, Revelation, Psalms, Proverbs. We're going to be in all of these today, uh, but mostly we'll stick in Luke, so you can just open up to that. Um, I, as a pastor, I, sometimes I, I forget that, that, I have to continually work on my walk with the Lord as well. Um, and um, I remember growing up, I, I looked at my, my youth pastor, the pastor of the church, and I just had this, not necessarily like reverence, but this like idea in my head that, oh, well, they've got it together. Um, and so confession time, I, I don't have it all together. Uh, I know for some of you, that's a shock. Uh, Maybe like one person out there that I haven't met yet it's a shock, but the rest of you probably understand that, but I don't have it all together and and i'm I'm constantly uh, learning and, and growing in the Lord and and my walk is changing and 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 I'm reading scripture and and I'm understanding him better and i'm uh, growing deeper in him and and sometimes that's hard sometimes it's it's hard because we look at it and we see what God says and and it's like do I really believe that? Is that something that I really believe? Am I, am I willing in my walk to say i 'm going to follow that i 'm going to say yes to what God tells me i 'm going to say yes to what jesus christ says i 'm going to say yes to what these scriptures that God has given us tell us to do it 's so easy for us to to maybe have the basics of, of Christianity. I have to put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ I have to live a a righteous, holy life and I have to do good and be a great person and, you know, i have to know that he's my Lord and Savior. And and those are the ones that we can spout out to anybody who asks. Um, But what does the gospel really require of us? When we read scripture, what does the Bible really require of us, require of us to do, require of us to believe? What are the things that that Jesus says that we don't necessarily think about on a constant basis, and we have to really look at our lives to know if we really believe and follow that? So we're going to start in Luke chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 33. So again, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there, Um, and we're just going to start Verse 33, it says, so therefore, any one of you who does not reconcile all that he has cannot be my disciple. Um, That's the ESV version. My version, the CSB, it says this. It says, in the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. And so we're going to start with this verse, and it's, it's, it's telling us to begin with, if we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if, if we believe what the Bible says and we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if we say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my, my Savior, I put my faith, I put my trust in you, I want to follow you, I want to be your disciple, if that's what we believe, he says, you must renounce your possessions, you must give up everything to be my disciple. What does that look like? That, that seems harsh. That seems, okay, God, you've, you've blessed me maybe with this. You've blessed me with that. You've given me this. You've put me in this situation. You've done all these things, but you want me to, to renounce them? You want me to push them aside? You want me to not be involved in these? It, it seems kind of harsh, but he's saying, if we follow Christ, the Bible is our guide. If we follow Christ, we can't walk into our job and say I'm gonna live my life for my job. If we follow Christ, we can't walk into our home and I'm gonna live my life for my family. We can't walk into the church and say I'm gonna live my life for my fellow believers. No, if we're a follower of Christ, we have to wake up every day and say I'm gonna live my life for Christ. He's gonna guide us in all those things. He's gonna guide me as I go to work to be a follower of Christ in my job. He's gonna guide me to be a follower of Christ in my marriage. He's gonna guide me to be a follower of Christ in this church, in Walmart, in HEB, in every place that we walk. We follow him and nothing else. That's what he's telling us. So do we believe what it says? Do we believe what the Bible is telling us? So let's look at a few things that the Bible tells us. Firstly, do we believe what the Bible tells us about sin? Uh, Matthew chapter five and verse 29, it says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Now in this moment, Jesus is not telling you to physically cut off your arm. He is not promoting Uh, mutilation of the body. He's painting this picture that if your right arm causes you to sin or your right eye causes you to sin, that it is better for you for these things to not be present so you can follow Christ. Now, if if my right arm causes me to sin and I cut it off, that does me no good because then my left arm is going to sin. He's saying these things that are in your life are causing you to sin, but it's not really helpful to get rid of those things because sin comes from the heart. It's a heart issue. But he's saying that's, if you want to be the perfect follower of Christ, you would have to cut off your arm. You would have to cut off your other arm. Get rid of both of your eyes. Get rid of your legs. All these things to be the perfect follower of Christ. If if you're trying to meet the expectations, if you're trying to follow the, what the law say, and and cross every T and dot every I. In James chapter one verse fourteen, this one's not on the screen. Uh, I added it late. Sorry. I should have labeled my paper clips. James chapter one, verses fourteen and fifteen. It says. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Not enticed by God, not enticed by whatever, but enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So if we believe what scripture says, sin leads to death. And that sin comes from our own evil desires. We are evil, we are sinful, we are fallen, we are separated from God, and those desires in our heart, those sinful, evil desires are what leads us to sin. And that sin leads us to death. Death was introduced when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God in the garden. And that death is, yeah, physical death, but that death is separation from God. It's it's not just... The physical. It's not just dying on this earth. It is separation from God. Our sin leads us to that. The book of Romans, chapter 6 and 23, it talks about the wages of sin is death. That when we sin, that we have to pay a price and we have to pay a penalty, and that penalty is death. That penalty is separation from God. So do we believe what the Bible says about sin? It says that we are sinners. It says that we are separated from God because of our sin. And that we are not righteous enough, we are not holy enough, we cannot cut off enough arms, gouge out enough eyes, cut off our legs, we cannot do enough to be righteous or holy enough to be in the presence of God. That's what the Bible tells us about sin. So do we believe that? Do we believe that we are so far gone that we are separated from God? If we are, if we do believe that, that means we're all lost. That means there are lost people out there. So do we believe what the Bible says about the lost? About those that have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that have not entered into that relationship with him? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 6, it says, Since indeed God considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, if we are lost, if we know somebody who is lost, if they're still living in that sin and they haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they will be punished. And that that punishment looks like eternal separation from God in a very real place called hell. We could look through the Bible where it talks about hell and it's not just a spiritual death. It's not just spiritual punishment. It's not just spiritually separated from God. It is physical and it is real. And somewhere where that if you are lost and, and other people are lost, they will spend eternity there. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it says that if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. When God looks at the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, the, the book that contains everybody that Jesus Christ has, has saved, that has put their faith and their trust in him, if their name is not in that, scripture tells us that they will spend eternity in a lake of fire separated from God. I, I have this picture in my mind of it as... Backstory. So before... So right now I work at uh, Agape Ranch um, and before that, I worked for the pregnancy center. And then before that, I worked as a chaplain for a hospice company. And so I would go into people's homes as their loved ones were dying and um, would counsel them and, and pray with them and, and meet their spiritual needs. And, and to watch people experience their loved one dying in front of them in their home is, is very difficult. Um, and I imagine spending eternity separated from God, and this is not in the scripture, just in my own mind, as, as that, that constant feeling of dying, but never dying. That, that, that pain that they must feel, that, that suffering, that, that gasping for breath, that inability to, to get up, to, to be confined to their bed, how much like mental and physical torment they must be under. I imagine it's like that, just constantly being in this state of dying, but never dying. That's what separation from God sounds like and feels like to me. They'll be separated from him, from his presence. And God is omnipresent. He is here with us now. He is present in this room with us. And scripture says that if we are lost or somebody we know is lost, that they will spend eternity separated from him out of his presence. So the Bible tells us that we're sinners and that if we are a sinner, we are lost. And that without salvation from Jesus Christ, that we will stay lost and we will spend eternity from, separated from God. Do we believe that? Do we believe that that's what the Bible says? Is, is, is that something we live our life by? Is that something that guides every action that we take when we interact with somebody who we know is lost? Do we go out of our way to make sure that they know Jesus Christ or hear the name of Jesus Christ? Because we know what will happen if they, are, they stay lost for the rest of their life. Do we believe that? So, Third, do we believe what the Bible says about our enemy? In Luke chapter 6, um, verse 27, it says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer that, uh, the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is king to the ungrateful, kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Luke chapter 6 tells us that we will have enemies, that because we're following Jesus Christ, that there will be people that seek to hurt us, that seek to take from us, that seek to put us down to break us to 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 kill us there are people that live in other countries that are being hunted and martyred because they believe in Jesus Christ if we're a follower of him scripture tells us we will have enemies we will have people that hate us but then he tells us to love them he tells us to treat them with respect and to be kind and that verse, as it talks about, if somebody hits you on the cheek, it's not a fist fight. He's talking about somebody slapping you across the cheek. And I grew up in Texas, and if somebody slaps you in the, feet, in the face, that's an insult. Like, you don't even think I'm, I'm man enough to punch me. Like, you, you think you can disarm me and, and insult me with just a slap. It's an insult and and they considered it an insult back then. And he says, if if your enemies are insulting you and your enemies are attacking you, love them. He says, if they hit you in the face and they slap you in the face, turn the other cheek. If they steal from you, the he talks about the the cloak and the tunic and the, the law back then is like nobody could take your tunic because that was like the last thing that you had, that even if you were sleeping on the ground, you had your inner tunic to keep you warm and nobody could take that. And, and he says, if somebody takes your cloak, offer them your tunic. The one thing that, that, that you're supposed to be able to hold on to and supposed to have and supposed to not be able to lose, give it to them. And treat them with love, treat them with Kindness. Matthew chapter five, verse nine, it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And this idea of peacemakers, and and I I feel like in this world, we we have this idea of peacemakers and it's just those that are not involved in the conflict, right? My two friends are arguing, they're fighting, they're at each other's throats. And to be a peacemaker, I'm just going to don't do that guys and I'm going to walk away. No, that's not what a peacemaker is. A peacemaker is involved in that conflict and they're bringing peace. He says, we are to be peacemakers. When we see turmoil, when we see fighting, when we see all these things going on, we are supposed to bring peace to the situation because we have a greater peace inside of us than anybody could ever know. The peace that is inside of us is so much more than any peace that this world offers that we are supposed to bring that to the situation. He says, be peacemakers. We're called to reconcile and not retaliate. Reconcile and not seek revenge. The whole adage, an eye for an eye, is not how we live our life. That is not what God calls us to do. That is not what scripture tells us to do. We're supposed to imitate God. We're supposed to love like he loves. In Romans chapter 12, verse 21, again, another one I added late, so it's not up there. Sorry, people in the back. And apparently I didn't put my paperclip either. Romans chapter 12, verse 21, it says, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Do not be conquered by evil, do not be overcome by evil, do not be swayed by evil, but overcome and conquer and sway with good. Because Jesus Christ is good. So do we believe that the Bible tells us that we are sinners? Do we believe that that makes us lost? Do we believe that if we are lost and we find Jesus Christ and we have our hope and our salvation through him that we will have enemies and we are supposed to continue to love them regardless? Do we believe these things that the Bible tells us? Do we believe what the Bible tells us about the poor? This is financially poor. This is spiritually poor this is physically poor, these are those that are outcast in society, those that are downtrodden, those that are thought of less, those that, that when we are driving down the road, they're on the side of the road and we divert our eyes. Do we believe what scripture tells us about these people? In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, it says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. If we insult the poor man, we insult God. If we oppress the poor man, we oppress God. We're insulting him because he's made them. I was uh, talking to somebody at work, and they had had a meeting with uh, a local pastor, Ken DeConey. I don't know if you've never met him. I highly recommend it. He's uh, got an incredible accent, and uh, he's 76 and plays tennis almost every day. So uh, when I grow up, I want to be more like him. Um, But he he talks about people, how we should see people. He says, I love them because they're created by God. I love them because God loves them. It doesn't matter my preconceived prejudice. It doesn't matter what they look like on the outside. It doesn't matter what they do for their job. It doesn't matter this. It doesn't matter that. He says, God created them. And so I love them. God loves them so I love them. It doesn't matter if they're on the side of the road asking for money. It doesn't matter if they're walking the gas station asking for money. It doesn't matter what position of life they are in. We love them because God loves them and created them. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 13 says, whoever closes his ears to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Scripture tells us that if we hear the poor crying out in need and suffering and we close our ears to it, that when we call out, we won't be heard. God is serious about this. Prayer is is such an important part of our, our life as Christians. And he says, if you close your ears to those that are oppressed and downtrodden and outcast and poor, when you call out, I won't hear you. And that's what scripture tells us. Do we believe what scripture tells us about the poor and how we should act and how we should respond? Luke chapter 14, 12 through 14 says this. He also said to one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame or blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When we respond in kindness and we respond in grace to people, don't do it to those, I mean, do it to everybody, but don't do it with a hope of somebody returning the favor to you. He says, treat those who can't do back to you the same way. Treat them with love and kindness and give to them and and do for them, knowing that they can't return the favor. That's how Jesus Christ acted. That's what scripture tells us to do. Do good no matter the circumstances, no matter the cost. Matthew chapter 25. Sorry. Maybe I ran out of paper clips. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, it says this. And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever we do for those that are least in this world, we have done for Christ. We love them, we love Christ. We treat them poorly, we're treating Christ poorly. And this is what scripture tells us. This is what being a follower of Christ requires of us. So, do we believe that we are sinners, that sin separates us from God, and that when we are separated from God, we are lost? And if we remain lost for our life, that we will spend eternity separated from God. If we have salvation through Jesus Christ, do we believe what scripture tells us about our enemies that will be there? Do we believe what scripture tells us about those that are outcast and those that are poor in society and how we should treat them? Do we believe these things? If we do, then Hopefully we're in a place like this and we're in a body of believers, we're in a church. And so do we believe what the Bible says about the church? Do we believe what the Bible says about the church? Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 57, it says this. To one another, he said, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead and be- to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but fir- let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Just a couple verses before in 57, it says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. I was reading um, a sermon by David Platt. Uh, he's pastor up in Washington of a, a pretty large church up there. He's wrote Radical and does the Secret Church, these amazing six-hour events where he just Picks a topic of scripture or a book of scripture, and they spend six hours going through it um, in in their church in reverence for those that have to have church in the basements of their homes because otherwise they would be arrested and murdered. Um, and I was reading a sermon, and he he talked about um, one of the teachers that he had in seminary. That the first time he went and heard him preach was to a youth group, and. He was reading these verses and at the beginning he says, I'm gonna to preach today and I'm gonna convince you not to follow Jesus Christ. And David Platt's like, whoa. Um, I've, I'm only in seminary, but that seems counterintuitive. But that's how he started his sermon and, and David goes on to recount, and he says, 15, 20 people got saved that night. So David says, all right, my first time preaching, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to convince you not to follow Jesus Christ. And he goes, I must have done a much better job because nobody got saved that day. So, um, but we read these, these words by Jesus and, and we're like, Jesus, is that, is that what you're doing? Are you, it sounds like you're trying to convince these men to not follow you. You're laying some pretty harsh things at their feet. You're, are you... You want people to follow you, right, Jesus? You want people to be a part of the kingdom. And yeah, he does. But he's saying this is what the cost is. He says, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, sorry, I keep going that far. He's telling this man that we'll read in a second about, he's telling this man, I've got no home. I've got no place of safety. And if you want to follow me, you're not going to have a place of safety either. That your comfort and your security does not come from the things in this world, that it has to come from me. That if we are to follow Jesus Christ, we must fully rely on him. If we flip over to Matthew chapter eight, we see this same verse, uh, the same same instance uh, in chapter nine, uh, verse chapter eight. Verse nineteen, um, it says. Mm, no, I almost had it. Oh yeah, that's the bottom one. Chapter eight, verse nineteen. there it is, a scribe approached him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So we get a little bit more insight in this situation and it's a scribe approaching Jesus. And so what would happen in these times is these scribes or these, those that were looking to be priests or be a part of the religious leadership would find a, 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 Rabbi or a teacher, and they say, I want to follow you. And they would put in their application, and then they would follow them for a little while and learn from them. But when they think that they had learned enough, they would move on to the next great and mighty teacher or rabbi, and they would, I want to follow you. And then I want to follow you. And they're just climbing up this ladder until they reach this point to where people want to follow them. And that was the system, and that was their goal, and that was how they did things. And so this man has approached Jesus and he says the same thing. He says, I want to follow you. And Jesus cuts him short. He says, I don't think you do because you're finding your security and your your desires and your wants and your reputation are all found in this system that you're trying to get into. And and are you following the best teacher in the land? Are you following the best rabbi? Are you learning under the greatest, right? And this is what he thought he could do. And Jesus tells him, no, if you follow me, all that you know is different. All that you know is changed. You're not gonna have any security or comfort except me. Following Christ is not a means to an end. The scribe thought that he was the next great teacher and that it was somebody who could get him to the next level, get him to the next higher authority so that he could have people following him Following Jesus is not a means to an end. It's not something that we do for a short amount of time and then move on to the next teacher. Following Jesus is about a lifelong commitment. It's about putting our complete and total faith and trust in him, relying on him to be our security, relying on him to be our protector, to be our comfort, to be our hope, to be our joy, to be all these things that we we need and desire. If we go back to those verses in Luke in chapter 9, verse 59 and 60. And I feel like this is, this is the hard one for people. I feel like people read this and it gives them pause about Jesus. It says, then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first, let me go and bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. I admit it the first time and probably every time I read that, like I have to stop. I have to stop and I have to think and I have to pray and I have to look at the words of Jesus Christ. My father died when I was real young. I don't have a ton of different memories with him, um, he was 35 years old and had a massive heart attack. And so I don't have a lot of time with my father. And, and for somebody to tell me, no, do not go to his funeral, do not go and, and bury him would be devastating. And I only knew my father for a short amount of time. I can't imagine what it would be like to, to spend your entire life with your father at your side and then him to die and Jesus to be like don't don't go bury him let the dead bury the dead you go and you spread the gospel this one hurts he says if if you want to follow me that's what it costs following Jesus Christ is our greatest obligation
1: And I hesitated
0: using that word obligation um, because we can get this mindset and this picture of it's what I have to do. I have to, oh, I'm obliged to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm obliged to wash the dishes at home. I'm obliged to take the trash out. But really it's when push comes to shove or even when it doesn't, and you have to choose between two different things, you better choose Jesus Christ. He, he told this man to follow me, and, and the man says, okay, I'll come follow you later, but let me go bury my father. He says, no, follow Jesus Christ. He's not telling us to disrespect our family and those that have died, or those that are dying, and, and to neglect that. He's saying, if that takes you away from following Jesus Christ, it's not profitable. And this is an extreme case, but he's saying that about everything in our life. That if something in our life takes us away from following Jesus Christ, it is not what we should be doing. That following Jesus Christ takes precedence over everything. Absolutely everything. Whether it be family, job, children, work, church, Loved ones, following Jesus Christ takes precedence. We, we've, we've been watching The Chosen as it's come out, and um, it's been interesting to watch how they depict Peter uh, because he's got his wife at home, his mother-in-law is sick in the bed, and, and he leaves his home to follow Jesus as Jesus goes and he teaches. And, and I think to myself, if Jesus Christ was here and he called me to leave my house where my wife is, could I do that? Do I believe enough in what the scripture tells me about Jesus Christ and tells me about myself and tells me about everything? Do I believe enough to go do that? Is my obligation first to Jesus Christ and then second to my wife? Am I gonna choose him over her? Am I gonna choose him over my job? Am I gonna choose him over doing youth ministry? Am I gonna choose him over anything? Fill in the blank, whatever it may be. If we believe what the Bible says we should, that's how we should live our life. Following him is our greatest obligation. Sorry, I didn't write down that next verse. In Luke chapter nine, again, um, verses 61 and 62, it says, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Following Jesus Christ is wisdom and obedience. This man just wanted to say goodbye to his family. And Jesus is telling him, I've called you. You wanna follow me? You wanna follow this path? There's nothing behind you. There's only in front. When our guide is Jesus Christ, we should not be thinking and looking backwards. Students, as you grow older and you get closer to driving and you start driving, I'm going to recommend don't drive with your eyes on the rearview mirror. That's a quick way to get into a car wreck. That's a quick way to lose your life. And that's just driving a car. Following Jesus Christ is so much more than that. That if we're going to follow him, if he's lighting our feet in front of us and lighting the path in front of us, if he is our guide and our morning star that we follow, then there's nothing behind us that has any value. There's nothing behind us that can get us closer to Jesus. It's only him. Following him is wisdom and obedience. He just wanted to say goodbye, but Jesus said, no, don't look back. Go forward. He talks about no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. And we don't have plows like they had back then, but they would have to hold them and the ox would pull it or the horse would pull it or the mule would pull it and they would have to keep it straight, right? And so if they're looking back, their field's going to be plowed in circles and zigzags and and it's going to be of no profit to them. It says, if you're going to follow Christ, look forward at Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be a part of the church. That's what the Bible is saying the church is constantly looking forward at Jesus Christ, obligated to choose him over everything else, putting precedence on Jesus Christ over everything else, being obedient knowing that Jesus Christ is not a means to an end, but he is a life, that he is our our desire, that he is what we are guided by. So do we believe what the Bible tells us about sin, that we are sinners, hopelessly lost, that only through salvation in Jesus Christ, and that if we don't have that, that we will spend eternity separated from him. And if we do have that, that we will have enemies, that we will have people that hate us and attack us. That if we are following Jesus Christ and we have that salvation, that we should treat everybody with love and kindness and grace and mercy just like Jesus Christ did, regardless of their situation. And that as a body of believers together, that that should be our mission, that we should be following Jesus Christ, that he is a lifetime commitment, that we should put precedence over following him over everything Do we believe that? Well, that begs the question, do we believe what the Bible says about Jesus? All of this hinges on Jesus Christ. All of our actions, all of our our desires, all of our our do we do this hinges on Jesus Christ. Jake, if y'all wanna come up. Scripture tells us in John chapter 14, verse six, what we should know about Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life that no one gets to the Father except through me. Following Christ. As we look at it, sometimes I look at him. and I'm like, oh, it's, it's easy. We just have to follow him. We just have to do as he's done. And then we look at it and it's like, this is probably the hardest thing I will ever do and I know that it'll be worthwhile. If we love him, if we choose him, if we want to follow him and we, we want to be disciples and, and be disciple makers this book that you either have on your nightstand in front of you or you have on your phone tells us everything we need to know. And, and it's, it's not easy. Jesus is literally telling these men that are, I'll follow you, I'll follow you, I'll follow you. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Last time I, I, I got to preach, I talked about all these uh, dangerous um, movements in the church. We see a lot of preachers uh, in, in different areas, and, and they, they, they preach, and it's all rainbows and sunshine, and it's like, yay, follow Jesus, and all your cares will go away. You'll never get sick again. You'll have all the money you need. Everything will be perfect. Perfect. And while Scripture calls us to have joy regardless of our circumstances, Scripture does not say walking and following Jesus Christ is easy. That even though it is hard, even though it is difficult, even though it isn't something that almost no sane person would enter into, that we will have joy. That we have hope. That this world that we're, we're in is not the end. That the pain and, and the suffering that we experience on a day-to-day basis is not the end. That if we put our, our faith, we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we follow him, we obey his commands, we confess him before men, that one day we will get to spend eternity with him. Uh, we are in the presence of God right now. When we worship and when we're fellowshipping together and we're, we're digging into his word, we're in the presence of God and we, like, we, we have these moments where we get like, the goosebumps and we like, feel the spirit moving. Imagine what it'll be like when we get to be in heaven and we get to be in his physical presence every single day. That when we look up we will see him. That he'll speak to us. And we'll hear his his voice. This difficult road that we have to walk is is worth it because we get to spend eternity with him. That's what scripture tells us. Yeah, it's hard but it's worth it. And if you're out there, you're watching online and, and you don't know what that's like. If you, you hear this and you think, okay, I'm that sinner and I am lost, but I don't, I don't know about the rest of this. I want to talk to you. I want to share Jesus Christ with you. I want you to experience that joy and that hope that allows me to look at this difficult road that we have to walk and say, I don't care. Take it all, God, just so I can be with you. I'm gonna be over here in the front. If you wanna know more about Jesus Christ, come talk to me. If you're stuck on one of these things and you don't know how you can get past that and you can get to that point to where you believe what scripture tells us about these things, come talk to me. There's leaders and there's elders in this church, pastors, come find one of us. We wanna share Jesus Christ with you. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that the road is tough and builds perseverance and builds character and builds strength in you when we rely on you, Lord. When we know that our home is not found in this world, but it is found in you. When we know that you expect different things out of us and you expect us to act like you acted and we know that we can never reach that potential and we can never be exactly like you, but you love us regardless. That if we follow you and we trust you, that we can spend eternity with you. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that as we walk this path, we walk this difficult road of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, as being the church, as being a believer, Lord, that you are with us every step of the way. I thank you for a body of believers that, that can know who you are, that can read your scriptures and they can know that it is true, that they can know that it, that is how it should be and are willing to give it all up for you. I pray that if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you that you do not let go of their heart, Lord, that you just you grab them and you bring them to you, Lord. That they can't leave this room not knowing you. That if there's anybody in this room that is on this path and is finding it difficult to stay on the path and is veering off, Lord, that you can you can touch their hearts through different ministers in this building, Lord, ministers at home, through somebody in their life that is following this path, Lord, that is following you, and they can know what it's like to be willing to give it all up for you. We love you, and we are so thankful for you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.